you would go ahead and stand and we'll read together. We're going to read the first chapter of Daniel this morning. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat a portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants." So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of, the, of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter and flesh than all the young men who ate the portions of the, king del, of the king's delicacies. Thus, the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had utter understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king inter interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. In all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. You may be seated.
Well, good morning. We have opportunity once again here to look to God's Word and to be instructed from God through the Holy Spirit this morning. So uh, I would encourage you as we begin this morning, uh, if you don't have your Bible, to open it up now and to Daniel where we were reading. Uh, We'll be looking at various parts. We chose Daniel 1 because it kind of sets the stage for what's to come in the chapters that follow. But really we'll be looking at excerpts uh, from these first six chapters in Daniel this morning. So let's, uh, let's go to the Lord. Let's ask Him uh, to teach us what we need to know this morning from His Word. Okay, uh, Father, we are grateful for the day that You have made. We're grateful for the opportunity that we have once again to be as Your people before Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, for uh, this work that You have, we see from the Scripture, ordained from the beginning You planted the garden. You placed the man in the garden. You gave him responsibility of tending it and keeping it. Work is deemed in the scripture to be a good thing in your eyes from the beginning. Lord, we ask this morning as we look into this subject of work that you would awaken us to the opportunities that await in our respective workplaces. Help us, Lord, wherever you've planted us, to be diligent workers for you. Give us eyes to see the work that needs to be done. Work in our own hearts. Work in the hearts of our colleagues. Grant us a desire to work with all of our might for your glory and for your honor. And I pray that the church of Jesus Christ would be the best workers around. We ought to be, Lord, Diligent, trustworthy, courageous, wise, full of the Holy Spirit. People who have God's word in them. People who walk with integrity. People who walk with character. People who are honest. People who are servants to those around them. As we look this morning to your word, I pray that you would allow your word to do its cutting And it's refining work in us. Your word does a work in us. That's the sanctifying work that's going on in us. As we work out the salvation with fear and trembling. So Lord we ask that you would change us. That we might work with all of our might for your glory in these last days. Let us be found working, laboring for the master until he comes. Give us a mind to work. Give us hands to work. Give us a heart to work. Lord, thank you for your son's example of work. He was always found doing your work while he was here. His work became your work. And your work is where he found his greatest joy. And so, Lord, in In that regard, I pray that you would remind us always that our greatest joy is found when we are about your work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I had a great time reading through all of your workplace questionnaires. I feel like in many ways I learned a lot about you all. Just 
through eight to ten questions on a piece of paper. I did read every single one of them that was turned in and went through and, and was thinking about each one of you that turned one in and thinking about how that applied to you, that subject matter of work in your respective workplace. Men, women, sons and daughters, those who work outside the home predominantly, those who work uh, a lot in the home, uh, those who uh, are currently students, had the full gamut of demographic, if you will, in, in filling out the questionnaire, and it was, it was quite a uh, helpful tool to read through that and to see where the Lord has you and how you approach this matter of work. And, and it really was my approach not only to have you do that to be helpful to me as I'm thinking about the subject matter this morning of work, I hope, and even I think it was alluded in a few of your questionnaires, that this was helpful to you, and that was also my hope, is that it would get you thinking about your work, about your workplace, about who you are as a worker in the Lord Jesus. So I hope that was a helpful exercise for all of you to go through. It's interesting as we look at the subject matter and we see just from a big idea, principle standpoint, the word says in Colossians 3.17 that we are to, whatever we do, that's, that's the phrase, that's how it begins, right? Whatever we do, whether in word or in what? Deed. Whether in word or deed. Whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we're to do it, do you remember? How's the verse end? With all of our heart, right? With all of our heart. For the glory of God. We're to work at it in such a way, Colossians 3.17, we're to do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus. Whatever you do. Really, that's an overriding principle here in what we're talking about this morning. Whatever we do. Does not our work fall under that umbrella? Whatever we do. I think it's, a, it's an appropriate place to begin just to kind of set what we're talking about in biblical context, whatever you do, dads, moms, sons, daughters, this applies to every single one of us in here. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus. High bar? You bet. I'm grateful for the high bar. That's the standard. Whatever you do. Well, we've been in this series now. This is the third week on resurrected. We started it a few weeks ago as we talked about our resurrected Jesus. And we talked then about how Jesus makes possible resurrected living. His life from the dead makes possible my newness of life in Christ. It's because he lives, is what we sing about, right? Not only can we face tomorrow because he lives, but because he lives, we can walk in newness of life. The series is resurrected. It implies that something or someone was once dead and has been raised. Last week we talked resurrected churches, didn't we? 
resurrected churches. And I begin that by talking about the question that I posed right there was, is it possible for a church to be dead? We talked about the sign, wanted, dead or alive, remember? And we asked the question, are you dead? Are you alive? And we ended and concluded with the idea of what, what God is desiring as he thinks about his church. What does God want? Wanted. What's he want? He wants us to understand and operate from the perspective that we are dead to sin, alive to God. We arrive today and we're talking about resurrected workplaces. What is it that transforms the places where we work? Or maybe another word we could put out here is influence. You know, you've heard it said that influence truly is not an option. We are influencing people, whether for the good or, or for the bad, every day. Dads and moms with our children. Uh, dads and moms in respect of work that we carry out. We are influencing those around us. Influence. Resurrected workplaces. I want you to think about the word influence. How does a man or a woman, a son or a daughter in Christ influence, impact the workplace for the glory of God? And I'd like to deal with that question through the lens of these four young men in Daniel. You know what's interesting is you read through Daniel 1 through 6. We see these little episodes, don't we? That's really what we have here, little snippets in the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And for many of us in here, we've grown up hearing the stories of these four young men. Right? We're very familiar with Daniel in the lion's den. We're very familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into the what? Fiery furnace. We, we know that we've grown up with these stories, most of us. And yet what's interesting to me is I, as I look at chapters 1 through 6 as a whole, I see that these four young men, they, they all four seem to have something that's consistent from 1 to 4. Daniel maybe has a different gifting of God in a certain arena of dreams and visions, yes. But Daniel... And these other three guys, collectively, they have a certain, yes, not only skill set from the Lord given to them. They have a certain heart. They have a certain mind about them that absolutely resurrects the workplace in Babylon. Talk about a shakeup in the workplace. These Babylonians had no idea the shakeup these four men, four young men, would cause. It's quite an incredible story. I'm hoping you had an opportunity to read the six chapters of Daniel this week. But these four men we see in the scripture in chapter 1. They're young, they're good looking, they're quick to understand, they're gifted in wisdom, and they're knowledgeable and ability to serve. 
in the king's palace. The lives of these four men are noticeably different, are they not? Noticeably different from the others that are mentioned in the text. And as you read chapters 1 through 6, you begin to ask the question and sense that there's a change in the Babylonian workplace due to these four young men who show up on the scene. You know, I got to thinking about these four young men, and I I was thinking all the way back to Genesis and how, you remember God planted a garden, right? God planted the garden, and God put Adam in the garden, and he put Adam in the garden to work the garden, to tend to it, to keep it. Adam didn't choose his first job. Adam didn't apply for that job. He didn't put resumes in. God planted him in the garden. Work it. And it was interesting as I was reading Daniel 1 through 6. Daniel and these three other folks, they didn't choose the jobs they had in Babylon. They weren't applying to work for the king in Babylon. There's something there in these four men that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis in that regard, in terms of work. God gives them work to do in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, his son, Darius, and even the mention of Cyrus is there in Daniel. God equips them fully for the work that's assigned to them. Think about a young man named Joseph in the book of Genesis. He didn't choose his work either. (laughs) We see, see some patterns there. Your own workplace, for some of you, some of you are, are, are greatly satisfied in the work that you do currently. You really like what you do. Some of you scaled a really good score on parts of your job. You really like parts of the work that you do. And you gave a lower score for some of the parts of your job you don't particularly care for. You'd rather not do. Your satisfaction level is a bit higher in some skills and, that you carry out at work. And, and some of these other responsibilities you have, you're not so excited about those things. <clears throat> but I want you to remember this morning <clears throat> that the Lord planted you there. The Lord placed you there. He's placed you there some for a time. Some of you, this might not be your dream job. It might be, as one person said long ago, this might be a manna job where you are right now. A manna job. You remember in the scripture the manna was given for what? For but a time. Right? This might be where you're at. It might be a manna time, but... Understand the Lord's feeding you. The Lord is providing for you. The Lord is giving you something right now for you to work at. Praise Him for that, by the way. Well, this workplace, what I find here in the opening chapters of Daniel, is a template for transforming the workplace. 
And you know, I got to thinking that the workplace that's resurrected has more to do with the worker than the work. Think about that for just a moment. When we talk about transforming, resurrecting workplaces, as I read Daniel, those first six chapters, it dawned on me that the work is is not nearly as significant as the worker. We carry out important responsibilities at the workplace. Many of you do. Many of you are, are called upon Uh, during the week to do some really big things for the company, for the business. And that work is, is important work that you're doing. But the worker speaks to who you are, doesn't it? Speaks to the kind of heart that you have. Speaks to uh, how you think as you go about your work. The workplace is... The culture, we, we talk about this workplace environment, this culture, the way things are done around here. And some of you gave some very good descriptions of defining your culture where you work. The work would be deemed that product or service that you provide for a, a client or a customer. And the worker is the means by which that product or service gets communicated, administered, or delivered. The worker carries out the work. And the work and the worker contribute to the workplace, the the culture, the environment. So when we look at that workplace, we see Daniel 1 opening with a corporate takeover, if you will. And it was a takeover. Verse 1 tells us what kind of takeover it was, right? It besieged it. Babylon besieged Jerusalem. Took it over. The description of the items that are taken from God's house in verse 2. Articles of gold. They're transferred into the house of Nebuchadnezzar's God. Lowercase g. Does that not right there, right out of the gate, tell us something about Nebuchadnezzar, tell us something about Babylon, about the culture of Babylon? He's got a palace with his own treasures set up to his own God. We get the idea in the opening verses of Daniel that this king of Babylon does not serve the same God that we serve. Jerusalem has been besieged. A takeover has happened. Babylon had an interesting, to say the least, an interesting workplace model. And we get a glimpse of it. Look with me in verses, starting in verse 3, chapter 1. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, listen to the groups, some of the children of Israel... Some of the king's descendants, some of the nobles. That's the pool, the selection pool, if you will, of the people that are going to now work in Babylon. These are the people who are going to be taken from Jerusalem and are going to be deemed candidates for work in Babylon. And here's the description description in verse 4. 
young men, young men, I'll say that again, young men, that's who they were hiring, that's who they were bringing, young men, not old men, not women, young men. That's the culture, that's the workplace. Keep in mind, specifically, workplace in the palace for the king. Okay? In whom there was no blemish, but good-looking. Gifted in all wisdom. Possessing knowledge. Quick to understand. Who had ability to serve in the king's palace. And whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. I was listening to a, a pastor several months ago now, but he was preaching on this, and I still remember him saying that this was nothing less than brainwashing of the people of God. Educate, re-educating them in the way of the Babylonians. Re-educating them so that they become a worker... To carry out the work in this workplace culture of Babylon. They were going to be trained in the ways of Babylon. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. It goes all the way down to the food the king ate and the drink that the king's drinking. They are giving these folks everything. To make them like the king in Babylon. And to fit into this culture. Three years of training. Don't miss this. Three years of training. Went into this. What kind of workplace? Three years of training. So that. What's the end goal? So that at the end of that time. They might serve before the king. What's this workplace all about? This workplace is training and equipping these people that they're bringing in to work for the king. They're training them in such a way that they work for the king. They're working in the service of the king. That's what they're training them for. I got to thinking how... Much Babylon was a, they were, this was a recruitment machine in Babylon. Only the best of the best, the elite, the strong, the intelligent, the wise, the attractive, yes, only the good looking, serving in the palace of the king. This was, at least for those working inside Nebuchadnezzar's palace, This was the makeup of workplace talent. The pool of talent was deep and wide to choose from. The workplace had a high level of training and development. Right? A lot of your workplaces have training and development. Ongoing training, ongoing development. Babylon had an incredible layer, if you will, of training and development. Just so that they could then put them into the service and be ready to be useful to the king. Listen to this. They are training these folks to be useful for the king's purposes. It's hard to miss the application here. 
There is a, there's a verse in the scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that talks about being useful to our master. Right? They were training. That was their workplace environment. They're training the people so that they would be useful to their king. Remember who this king is. Pagan. A workplace where employees are trained to serve the king. To do what he wants. To do when he wants things done. To please him. Now... This would be, in Daniel, this would be a government job, no doubt, that's, that's we see before us in the pages of Scripture. And the government jobs in Babylon, they centered on pleasing the king at the time. And we read of Nebuchadnezzar, we read of Belshazzar, we read of Darius and Cyrus in this book. But the workplace was channeled to please the king. If we were to have a, 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 an environment or sometimes in your workplaces you have a slogan, what you are known by, a little catch tag. You might have your company name and then have some kind of line that describes what your company does. If that was to describe Babylon and the work done there, it would be, please the king, dot, 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 or else. Huh? And you read Daniel 1 to 6 and you see that come through. If you don't please me, it's not you're fired, it's you're dead. That's the way things worked. When you work for the king... And you didn't please the king. That's the way it worked. If you are at work for the king in Babylon, you are connected to a workplace of discipline, orderliness, structure. By the way, those are good traits. Those are good things. But it serves a warped purpose here. It's to please the king, this man. As you think about your own work in your workplace, do you see yourself as merely a pawn in the service of the king at your workplace? Is the workplace channeled around pleasing a certain man or a woman in charge? Listen, we have in the scripture, we have another king to whom we are accountable in Christ. Amen? We must obey God rather than man, we read in the book of Acts. Or other than the the workplace culture. Do we bow down to the workplace culture because everyone else in the workplace is bowing down? I love the sermon series title of one of the pastors that I I read, uh, I've listened to. A while back, and he, it's, it's faith under fire. It's, and he's talking about the book of Daniel. And it's so true. These, in particular, these three men who were commissioned to bow down to this image that had been erected. Sorry, we're not going to bow down. What I find interesting in the midst of all that, and we think about this workplace... The workplace might call you to something, and the workplace might, you might see all of these other workers going right along, going down the stream with the, what the workplace is all about. And you're seeing all of this happen right before your eyes. You're hearing things uh, through your ears, and you notice that people in the workplace are going a different direction than 
what you ought to be going as a resurrected follower of Christ, a newness, a, a new creation. That's a different direction. I'm, go, I'm going a different direction. The workplace is going this way, and I'm seeing them go that way. I know I'm not supposed to go that way. What are you going to do? What are you faced with? You're faced with a choice, just like Daniel and his three friends were faced with a choice. What are you going to do? Do you realize it may cost you your life? Well, see, we don't oftentimes think about it in those terms, but when we read Daniel 1 through 6, we can't escape that question. <laughs> Am I really willing to step out in faith to walk with God by faith? Even though it might cost me my life. Well, we have this work, and we think, about, we think about the work that went on in Babylon. And you know what I find interesting is that in chapter 2, it doesn't take us very long in this account. You get to chapter 2, and you immediately realize Daniel and his three friends, however smart, good-looking, wise, intelligent they were, along with some of the other folks who were being trained alongside them, their job security was uh, up for grabs here in chapter 2. You know what the king does in chapter 2? He does an amazing thing. He calls in his astrologers, his soothsayers, his magicians. By the way, do you know the job that Daniel applied for was actually under the heading and label of magician and astrologer? Now, granted, Daniel didn't apply for the job, but that's the heading under which he is working. Because it says in chapter 1, it says that when the king interviewed them, verse 19, notice the king interviewed them after such a time, after their days of preparation, the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. Listen to this. In all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, the king examined them. Do you think that this king was bent on finding out every little detail about these people from Jerusalem? I do. I think he wants to know everything about them. I think he's hammering them. I think this is an interview. This is one of those interviews that you probably don't want to sit in on. All kinds of questions, I'm sure, were coming. But it says, in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better. Ten times, not just a little bit, not just a little bit better, ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. In other words, the workers that were already working for the king, he's interviewing these newbies, these new recruits from, from, from Jerusalem. And these four guys are ten times better than anybody else he's already got in his pool over here. Think about that for just a moment. Thus Daniel continued until the first year. Well, we see in chapter 2, real quick, on the scene. And it's hard to know at the end of chapter 1 if they were, it says they were 
in his service. They continued, they served before the king, but we don't get a whole lot of detail that like Daniel and the four were on staff in chapter one. You, you get the idea they're on staff in chapter two because the king has a dream. This king has lots of dreams, it seems. Well, that's just perfect because in chapter one, it tells us that God in verse 17 of chapter 1, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And listen specifically with Daniel. God gives Daniel understanding in all visions and dreams. That totally sets the stage for what's coming in Daniel chapter 2. The king has a dream. Here's the thing. He calls in all of his astrologers, all of his magicians and says, okay, I want you to interpret my dream. But before you interpret my dream, I want you to tell me what I dreamed. And they're like, uh, king, there's nobody that can do that. Not unless it's from the gods and the gods aren't in, in the flesh. Now, there's nobody that you're asking something no king's ever asked before. Besides, no one could do this. What's the king's response? Anger? Fury. Remember what I said earlier about job security? Remember what I said about pleasing the king? The king wants something, and if people aren't able to get that to the king, in this case, here's what happens. Kill them all! Kill them all! Think about it. Decisions in the workplace. Have you ever been a part of something in the workplace where a boss has made a decision? He's made a decision for an individual, but that decision he makes toward that individual impacts everything and everybody. That's what we've got right here in Daniel chapter 2. This is one, you know what? I read Daniel chapter 2, and the guy that spoke to the king, I don't know who he was, he's bold. He was courageous to say what he said. Hey, no one can do this. And by the way, no other king's ever asked this before. Ouch. He took the brunt of it. But what we find out is, this decree goes out, In verse 13, chapter 2, they began killing the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. They just got here not too long ago. They've been in training for the job to work for the king. And now death warrant is out to kill all of those who are under the umbrella, under the working title of magician astrologer. And here we see in 2.13 that that would include Daniel and his three friends. With counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, verse 14, who had come out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel's like, why is this decree of the king so urgent? And Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. Look what happens. I love this. The worker. I want you to look at this for just a moment. What kind of worker here we have? He's on staff. He's working for the king. He's heard now what has happened, what's transpired. Why is the king wanting to kill all of the wise men and astrologers? David goes in and asks who? The king. The king. To give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house. Stop right there for just a moment. Leads us to believe the king actually said okay. Because it seems like there's a small window of time where this was put on hold. (laughs) He goes home. Look what he does, friends. He makes the decision of what the king's going to do. He makes it known to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions. 
Why? That they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You know, I read this and I want you to notice from the text what they do not do. Notice what they do not do. They don't get together to badmouth their boss. You see that? It's not in the text. They don't get together to wallow in their pending death sentence. They don't get together to gossip in general about this workplace culture. Boy, this Babylonian workplace culture really stinks. I don't like it. I want to go back to Jerusalem. Sort of sounds like the, the whiners when they were in Egypt, right? Remember, they want to go back to Egypt. They think things are always better back in Egypt. I don't like it. We don't see any of that in the text. The king has it out for us. It's that victim mindset. You don't see them talking about that stuff. They are simply getting together. They're speaking. Daniel speaks to his friends for a particular reason. And that particular reason is so that they can seek the mercies from the God of heaven. And I love this because what we find out in when they're praying in 18 and we see in 19, one verse, listen, one verse in the scripture separates their prayers to God and their answer from God. And some of you here this morning, this, is, this may be what you need to hear this morning as we think about our work. We think about our, our work and we think about who we are as workers for God. Because really, in reality, there's one verse that separates seeking God for answer to prayer in this situation. And answer comes in the next verse. Some of us have not gone to the Lord in prayer. We've sang about that this morning. I want you to know that whatever problem, whatever trial, whatever challenge might be in your workplace, some of that workplaces for you all, it's the home. Have you been quick to take these cares, trials, concerns to the Lord in prayer? And I want to call you to this because in Daniel chapter 2, I see one verse separating a plea, a crying out to God for an answer to this situation. In the very next verse, we see that it was given. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. What's the response of Daniel? As a worker before the Lord, a worker who serves God. It's a, it's a worker who is quick to give him praise. A worker who is quick to give him thanksgiving when God shows up in answer to prayer. That's what we have at the end of Daniel 2, verses 20. He answered, blessed be the name of the God forever and ever. He changes the times, the seasons. By the way, he also changes and resurrects workplaces. He changes the hearts of kings. Proverbs 21.1, right? He's the one who can take the heart of the king and can turn the heart of the king however he wishes. And we see that time and time again here in the scripture. Look at verse 23 of chapter 2. He says, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we, have asked, what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. What had once by this gentleman who was already on staff, thought impossible to do, not just to reveal the interpretation, but to reveal the dream. It was impossible. But the God of heaven revealed the secret to Daniel. Friends, that's walking by faith, trusting in God, leaning, as we talk over, leaning on the everlasting arms of a faithful God. 
Do we trust him in that way? I want to give you a couple things here. As we, there's, you know what, I tell you, this, there's so much about this subject matter. We could probably just do a, I, it. Really, this has got me, this, this week has got me thinking a lot about different uh, components of work that really could be explored and looked at from the scripture. So I feel sort of scattered from that standpoint of wanting to share some other things, but know that in going here, it branches out in some different directions. I'd like to, as we wind this down to a close, I'd like to give you some principles to consider and think about from Daniel 1 through 6. Thinking about the workplace, thinking about the worker, and thinking about the work itself. So let's, let's consider that for just a moment. I think it's important as we think about resurrecting the workplace that we begin by establishing a biblical framework for work. A biblical framework. God-ordained work, right? God deems it good. Sin, we see in Genesis 3, changed that. We can read about that in Genesis 3. There's a curse now that comes. The curse is attached to, and as God is speaking to Adam, things aren't going to be as they were. The sweat of the brow and with great toil. But here's, while that may seem like a bad news thing to you, the good news is that we have a Redeemer who has taken the curse upon himself. And he's redeemed that curse, if you will. He's redeemed it. That's, that's why, listen, that's why we can now have resurrected workplaces. Because of what Christ has done. Galatians 3 speaks of that redeeming work of Christ. What he did. So establishing a biblical grid for work. And remember that your labor in the Lord, remember that verse, your labor, your work, your labor in the Lord is, is not in what? It's not in vain. There's some of you in here today that have been working for the Lord in your respective workplace. And, and maybe today you, you're thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this, I don't, I don't like this, I'm, I'm frustrated with this, I, a whole list of items. But I would want you to know that your labor in the Lord, when we are in the workplace and we are working for the king, we're pleasing this master, our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that ought not ever get tiresome, burdensome, because of whom we're working for. I think the times when we get frustrated with our work, with the content are the times when we lose sight of who we're working for. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So establishing up front a biblical grid for work. And by the way, establishing when you establish a biblical grid for work, what's going to then get eliminated and maybe not cold turkey eliminated, but what's going to be high on the radar, when I, when I come to understand I'm working for the king of kings, I'm going to then lose stuff 
that comes out of my mouth like, this is boring, or, or bad-mouthing an employer, or, or someone who's a colleague. And listen, side note, maybe it's not you bad-mouthing them, but maybe it's you standing by the person who's bad-mouthing Joe who works down the hall. You're participating. When we understand who we're working for, these kinds of things aren't going to be there. Another day, you know, you ask somebody, hey, how's it going? You ever heard the expression, another day in paradise? Another day, a dollar. It makes me just want to just have a heart-to-heart right up against the wall and, 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 and talk to some folks about, there's more to this than showing up, punching a clock, eight to five, go home, do it again. The workplace and the work. I would ask you about the worker because that's what this is all talking about, this biblical grid, this framework. Where's your heart in this? Where's your heart, where's your mind as it pertains to the work God's given you right now? If you're working right now thinking this isn't the job I'm going to do long term, and, and th- then when, when, what we do in that situation is we end up giving lip service to the job we're currently in, thinking, dreaming, hoping there's some big job over here that now I'm going to flip the switch and I'm going to give all my heart to this job. Listen, it doesn't work like that. Not when we are working for the king of kings. Whatever you do. All right, I'm moving on. Second one. Don't ever underestimate your influence at work. Don't ever underestimate your influence at work. Moms, I'll just speak to a lot of the moms here for just a moment. We're going to talk to, talk to moms here in a few weeks, specifically. But as it pertains to what we're talking about here with the workplace, the influence that you have, many of you because you are at home a majority of the day, with your family and children, the influence you have is large before the Lord. We read in this text, we see that Daniel works under these kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, Cyrus, and one of the things that just jumped off the page is his influence on every single one, especially the first three that I mentioned. His influence on Nebuchadnezzar. His influence on Belshazzar. His influence on Darius. Do you notice that each of those kings end up praising God for what they're seeing being worked in Daniel? What they see being worked out in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Influence. Don't underestimate those who are in your sphere, your workplace environment. You have great influence. Listen, influence is not based upon, not rooted in your title or position at the workplace. For some of you sons and daughters, it's important for you to understand that too. Your influence is a big deal. It's a big deal. You've got siblings in the home. Lead well. Understand what it is to work with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. You're working for the Lord. You're working 
loving the Lord in what you're doing. And that means, yes, even in the midst of doing math, even in the midst of doing science, even in the midst of doing whatever it is you're trying to do to finish up school, some of you. It's some hard stuff. And it may not be the top choice for you. But understand your influence, how you approach your work. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Number three, your influence is multiplied when God is working in you. This is so important. Your influence, listen, your influence when God is working in you just goes off the charts. You can bring a certain skill set to the workplace and you can help that workplace. You can, be, uh, you can have a nice title. You can have a nice position. Uh, you can help that workplace become very productive in their work. But listen, listen to what I'm saying. For this. this is so important. Your influence will be multiplied by God when he's working in and through you. See, God is the one in the scripture we see. God's the one who gave Daniel and his friends the talents. God is the one who gave them the skills and the abilities. God's the one who gives it to them. And when you are a worker that stewards well what God's given to you, is it the proverb that talks about uh, being in the the place of kings, those who do their work well, right? You remember that proverb? Not going to be in the common and the ordinary. Not that there's anything wrong with common and ordinary, but it has everything to do with the leverage that God brings to the equation. God can resurrect a workplace. He can resurrect a worker. And he can even resurrect the work that you're doing. The work that you once thought, "Ah, I don't care for this. I don't like this. It's boring. God can bring all of that about. He is the one who can help influence you in that direction. Number four, I'm, I'm moving. I've got two more. Prepare to exercise your faith while you work. I love chapter three. The king gives him another chance. Okay, I'm gonna, okay guys, I'm going to play the music again. I'm going to play it again and then see what you do here. I'm going to give you a second chance. Well, he plays the music and these guys don't bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case... Our God, whom we serve, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Wow. Are you prepared to exercise your faith? In that manner. Notice when these three young men and when Daniel, when they are before the king, when they are speaking, one of the other side notes of this particular point that I would want to bring forward is how they communicate with the king. How they communicate with someone who is above them. In your workplace, you might have someone you're accountable to. You might have someone that they're accountable to, right? There's a chain of command. The question becomes, how do you communicate with those above you to... Let them know what you actually are going to be doing or not doing. In this case, these three guys say, we're not going to bow down. Corporate corporate says, hey, everybody bow down to this. When you hear the music, bow down. Well, everybody except these three guys were bowing down. And the king gives them another opportunity, and they don't bow down. And then they, I think in a very 
wise, intelligent manner. They're not arguing. They're simply telling the king why they're not going to do this. We're not, we have no need to answer you in this matter, king. Our God is able to deliver us. Our God is able to rescue us. And king, I want you to know something. Even if he doesn't pull us out of the fire that you say you're going to throw us in, we still believe in this God and we're going to serve him all the way to the end. And we see the picture at the end of that chapter 3. I love, I love the, the impact. Talk about the influence. Because <laughs> at the end of chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come out. He, say, he calls them out. Come here. Blessed be the name of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, delivered his servants, who trusted in him. And they frustrated the king's word. You see, they had influence on the king. And they yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. Isn't that incredible? You know, we see, we see this impact of, of, of things that happen in, in Daniel 1 through 6. Preparing to exercise your faith. Number five, how you go about your work says a lot about who you are. How you go about your work says a lot about who you are. Uh, the Proverbs are loaded. We could spend a few weeks just talking about this component of work. Are you punctual? Are you dependable? Are you a team player? Are you positive? Are you energetic? Are you filled with joy? Do you meet deadlines? Are you disciplined? Do you refrain from water cooler talk? Are you a hard worker? Are you willing to serve? Are you not cutting corners? Are you one of those folks who show up late and leave early? Whatever you do. Last one and we're done. Let godly living serve as the dirt in your life. You remember Daniel chapter 6? Daniel has distinguished himself, not on his own accord, but that's just the way things have worked as God's been working through Daniel. This Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. The king's thinking about setting Daniel over the whole realm of Babylon. A foreigner, this young man from Jerusalem, over the whole realm of Babylon. Incredible. So the governors and satraps, they catch wind of this. They find some charge. They're they're trying to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Listen to these words in 6 verse 4. They could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. They couldn't find any dirt on Daniel. Wow. Think about it. Think about what kind of worker we're talking about here. Think about the kind of work that this worker has carried out to this point. They are trying because they don't want this foreigner overseeing them. You you see how this works. The locals don't want him. They're trying to find everything they can to get him out of the picture. They're going to dig up whatever they can. The problem is they can't find it. So where do they turn? Verse 5. We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Wow. 
when people look at you, if there was an investigation underway to dig up some dirt on you in terms of how you go about your work, would they be able to find something? Would they be able to see what kind of worker you are and go, man, I'm turning him in for this. I'm turning her in for this because they don't do this at all. Or, or would they get so frustrated when they look at your life as a worker in the workplace and go, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know. So, but I do know. And this is the important part. I do know they serve this God, this one they talk about every now and then, Jesus. Is it possible we could come up with something to trap them in their faith, in this God that they serve? And that's what happens in Daniel chapter 6. King gives his command. The king is a, a fool. These kings are fools. And I say that from the biblical perspective. Because they're without the Lord. Hey, if, hey, that sounds good. 30 days. No one bows down to anybody but me. Oh, I like that. That sounds good, king says. Only problem is, Daniel, who, whom he happens to really like at the time, is the one who gets in the crossfires. And yet at the end, we see, just look at the end of this. The king gives the command. They brought the man in. The king was exceedingly glad, commanded that they should be taking Daniel out of the den. And I love it because the king is the one who recognizes what God has done. This very thing that they went after to try and trap Daniel, this king sees and recognizes the influence that this man Daniel, just like the three friends before him in the fiery furnace, faith, held on to his God. You know, as you read this, you see the kings falling down prostrate, kings falling down before Daniel, recognition of Daniel's God. Church, there's a lot here, um, a lot of really good things for us to learn. Let godly living serve as the dirt in your life. And listen, the apostles, the apostles understood this really well because when they were teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus, it says that they left that day in Acts chapter 4. They left in Acts 4 and 5. We read that they left counting themselves worthy to be suffered for the name of Jesus. They got together and they lifted up praise to God and they prayed that they would become even more bold and even more courageous that the glory of God would be seen through their lives. As we think about workplaces being resurrected, friends, I hope you understand that these three work all, they work together. Our workplace, our environment, our work, what we do, the content, what we deliver, and the worker, they're all very much connected. I would like you to be able to see, too, that while the workplace and the work is, is important, no doubt, the worker, what kind of worker are you for the Lord Jesus Christ? And to remember Colossians 3, it's the banner which we began things, thinking about resurrected workplaces. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, help us in our work to be diligent for your kingdom. There's so much here in these six chapters that it would be perhaps an opportunity down the road to be able to just work through verse by verse in, in these chapters in particular. But we thank you, Lord, for the time this morning. Thank you for teaching us through your word. I thank you for these four young men 
these four young men who, who made quite a splash in, in Babylon in that day. Not because they were looking to make a splash, but because you were working in and through them and they made themselves available to you. They were faithful to you. They were teachable. They were willing to do what you had called them to do, even if that meant putting their lives on the line. It was truly faith under fire. Help us, Lord, to remember that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That our lives would be spent working for you wherever you have us, where you have currently planted us. May we be faithful workers for you right now. Give us a heart for the work that you've given to us. And I pray that we would be a worker. Just like Daniel. That as they looked at him, they couldn't dig up any dirt on him. Except for that of his God. I pray we would be known. We would be a people known for walking with this God that we serve through Jesus Christ. Father, I praise you that your son, Jesus, worked your work during his days. That's, that's, what, that's how he spent his days, carrying out your work. May our work be spent and our days be spent carrying out the work you've called us to with the heart that you've called us to do it with, with the mind that's renewed through the truth of your word. We pray your Holy Spirit would empower us, lead us and guide us to do these very things that we might influence others for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that your name would be exalted and proclaimed wherever we go. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.